0: All right, everybody this is root solution learning how to control the basics this is kyron
1: this is noah <laughs> Yo,
0: it's Lang,
1: bro.
0: all right so uh today we have a very very special guest uh my friend garrett woods what's up garrett welcome to the show
2: thanks for having me guys excited to be here
0: awesome awesome so i know garrett from uh pdtr i actually when i was I think I was about to take the course or taking the course and was looking for practitioners around me to practice with. And Garrett was around. He was in uh, long beach. I was working in, I think I was working in Huntington beach at that time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but as soon as I met Garrett, just like we connected, like there was just like a deeper connection and, um, grew into a friendship. And so I uh, really wanted to have him on the show. Uh, he's doing some really interesting stuff. He's actually helped me through all that. Uh, so Garrett, uh, to start it off, let's get a little bit of background about like how you got into what you got into. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so funny because it keeps evolving, right? And yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Um, it's like, a, do you want the most recent iteration of how I got into that, or the one before? No, right. So it all, but that's yeah. the fun part. So um, of late, uh, prior to really doing what I'm doing now, I was working with. A lot of people, uh, mostly with manual therapy, they have aches and pains, right? Which when I first got into that work, I really thought it was just like overuse issues, right? Like, oh, they're just like grinding it out. athletes, they're just type A's, they're just doing it. And there's some truth to that for sure. But even when the tissues had kind of healed up, people were still feeling physical discomfort or tissue tension or things like that. And I had this really strange experience where someone had a body worker themselves on the table. I was kind of teaching and going through some stuff. And I recommended that she do the release work on herself because it would feel safer to her than if I was doing it to her in the spot that she had some tissue tension and restricted range of motion. And she was like, well, why is that? And I made a like off color joke about how, um, when you're touching yourself, it feels safer inherently versus someone else touching you. And I made a joke about how you can't tickle yourself, but you also can't like assault yourself for lack of a better word. And, she heard that joke made the connection with that range of motion, that kind of like sensation that was put into her body. And she had, a, a you know, what most body workers would call like an emotional release. But I think what really happened now that I have like a better perspective on it is kind of like a trauma response where that sensation and the event she lived through in her life, put those two together and her brain was in body was able to make that connection. And in the past, even though that tension had been there, it wasn't actually in the tissue. There wasn't like muscle soreness there. It wasn't like the lactic acid that people have talked about historically. Yeah, yeah. It was something else going on and it was like a protective mechanism. And so anytime that she would feel threatened out in the world, you know, she'd get this like kind of posture and that tension would be there, that restricted range of motion. And then the discomfort comes from that. Then you throw a bunch of movement at a high level on a type A person and a ton of work. And then, of course, we're going to have some overuse issues that typically show up in movement. But in that moment, it took me a long time to figure out what happened. Um, and make that connection. And so what I do now is mostly work with people that are aware that they've been through some stuff. Emotionally, they're type A kind of driven personalities and they're not letting their personal past learning really, um, they feel like impede them from doing anything. But just because they've worked through some of that doesn't mean that it still doesn't show up at times in ways that they can't quite correlate and understand how it's impacting them. And so a lot of the work we do is um, minimizing those interve- like those effects um, and sometimes we do PDTR, and we do like a very physical intervention. Sometimes we do that with a little bit of imaging, um, where they're remembering some of that stuff and putting them back into that moment. Sometimes we just do positive reinforcement, where we're just anchoring in positive feelings that they've had experience to. And then sometimes we're actually verbally going back and talking through some of these things in a way where we can like bring up the story or the memory or the sensation of a distressful time, and then calm that central nervous system back down in the moment. And after a few rounds of that back and forth. It's amazing how much um, more accessible those fam- those feelings and those memories are and how much less distressing they are as they move forward. So when they show up incidentally, when they're when they're cut off guard by something, it doesn't overwhelm their central nervous system and just kind of throw them into a fight or flight and shut them down. So,
1: yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome, by the way. I think, you know, it's funny, Kai and I talk about our journey a lot and, and both of us have kind of found that as well. When we looked into pain, it was Initially, it was like, "Oh, biological, of course, right?" Like we've got trauma to the area; let's fix it. And then we started to kind of like, kind of together, almost Kai and I started to like journey into the social as well as the psychological portions of pain. And um, you said something that really resonated with me with that idea of like, you know, your person resonating with that trauma. And I think, you know, I found personally that the social aspect of pain is one that is probably the least talked to. Talked. To, towards right, and about um for you you know kind of obviously have our bizarre journey how we got here and we all have different stories what took you to a place where you started to understand like there's a social component to pain like why aren't we addressing it
2: yeah um i think experiencing it first is probably the sure. easiest way
1: <laughs> yeah looking right. for answers right
2: yeah and you're like oh lived experience you're like that's what yeah. that is um, and so for me, there's a time in my life where, um, you know, I was trying to, you know, overachieve as much as I could do everything the right way. Um, sure. and I had this hip pain show up and, you know, I went through the medical model, um, biomedical model. Right. And so x-rays, MRIs, right. and I got on the guy's table and he put his thumb in my pectineus and did a little release work and it was better. Um, so it wasn't something that was like structurally there, like right. it didn't show up an MRI or an x-ray. Right. And so it was like how I was using the tissue or whatever. Um, But really, what it came down to in that time in my life, I was under a lot of pressure, um, both externally with the position I was in and where I was at in that company. Um, You know, it was kind of like a a numbers driven, productivity based company. And so we would report on productivity and numbers every day at that company at the time, it felt like you reported more on the numbers than you did actually driving the behaviors that would drive the numbers.
1: Like Yes. You'd be I'm like very familiar.
2: <laughs> you're like trying to do what the work it? and you like get the text and you're like, okay, I'll send the report, but I got to do the work. So the report, what the, and it's just, right. Was, right? What, um, what was
1: the industry then, you were working in? That was the fitness
2: industry. Yeah. So I was for okay. a big global gym. Yeah. Um, and at the time, um, my home life wasn't, I was, I was, uh, Going through a, a strained relationship at the time. That was my primary relationship. And then um I'd moved up in the company. So a lot of my friends and colleagues were now like my team members. And so there's this extra layer of isolation and like yeah. stress of being like, Oh, now I'm responsible for them and we're no longer friends. And then I go home yeah. and it's a strained relationship. And then there was not a lot of healthy outlets for me. And fitness at the time was my only outlet. And then because of that discomfort, I was completely shut down from it. Um and it seems like you know a little muscle pull here no big deal you get a little you know some like you get some muscle work you do some heat some ice some movement some stretching you know whatever you do it's probably okay but when you compound all that other stress and lack of sleep dysfunction relationships and then feeling that social isolation it really takes that little thing and turns it into something much bigger for much longer yeah Um, And that's,
1: I think, that that becomes a struggle for all of us in the industry that have kind of reached that next level, right? Is that, okay, so imaging is, one, typically not comparable to previous image, right? So I don't, like, I played baseball, so there's I've got a labral tear in my shoulder, right? Like, we know I have it. So if I go in for shoulder pain, they're going to find a labral tear. But to me, it's a labral tear. Like, they didn't have the previous imaging, right? So that was my struggle also when I got into the industry was just like, so, so wait a minute like this doesn't seem right like i couldn't really understand it until honestly to connect to what you're saying i went through my own struggles i worked in mortgage where it was just a grind factory right and same idea it was like we were reporting everything all the time and um you know looking back and i understand what i know about biology now i go oh i had massive amounts of inflammation i like i had a severe fight like Fight response at all times. I was probably in freeze half of the time, right? Um, and once I started to like get healthy with psychology and stuff like that, that led me this way. Do you find that like you use your own rehab protocols to like, like kind of cross apply that stuff to people that you were working with? Because it sounds like you were doing that almost beforehand.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, you only know what you know, right? We don't see yeah. the world the way it is, we see it how we are, right? So no matter how much unbiased you are about what you're trying to share with people, you, you have to have a belief in it yourself. And the easiest way to have a belief is have it work through you. Now that doesn't mean that like, that's enough in of itself. <laughs> like, right. Oh, it works for me. So it's good for everybody. All the time. Sure. Of course. Right? <laughs> um, if, you, if you don't have that experience, it's really hard to be like, well, in theory it says this is good. So it should work for you. Like to me, that's almost just, um, as unproductive or unhelpful in the long run. Sure. Right. Um, so technically the protocols or principles that, um, I work with people, I have been, I have experienced those on the table prior to being on the other side of it for sure. Every single time. Yeah. Right. Um, it gives you a level of comfort from the inside out on it too. So you can relate to your client when they're there on the other side of the chair, the table, you know, a little bit of what they're going through cause you've been there a little bit yourself. Right. Sure. Uh, I always think like the best coaches are probably the ones that made the worst athletes. And so they had to work way harder than every other athlete out there.
1: Yeah. I (laughs) always say that too. It's that idea that like the best athletes can't simplify movement because they've never they didn't start from zero like half did, right? They started from five and got to ten while the rest of us were like, oh shit, I gotta learn how to get the five first, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah, they're like, how do you do that? And they're like, you do it. Yeah. <laughs> you just wake up. And then you do it, yeah, for sure. So, okay, so you're in fitness, right? I'm assuming it's kind of a global gym like a like a buys tries, you know, upper lower kind of splits. And then you get to PDDR, which is obviously like a like a huge shift in ideology, right? How did you how do we get from point A to point B?
2: Mm. So from so 2007 is when I started working in Globo Gym, right? Okay, and then PDTR wasn't even that long ago, it was probably four years, three years, four years ago now.
1: Oh, wow! So there's a pretty big gap between the two, yeah, yeah.
2: So, what would that be? That's like 10 years of like yeah. evolution, right? Um, yeah, uh, I was you know, when I was in the Globo Gym, it was mostly like right 2007. So, Kelly Starrett was like mm-hmm. rocking and rolling with CrossFit, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um he was the Supple one PT, leopard, that was like, I love it. Yeah. He was the one PT that was like, No, they're doing it. We need to help them. Like, yes, right. right? Instead, every other PT is like, What are you doing? Stop. No, never touch your away again. Snatches, stop, unless you're a professional, right. right? So um I really enjoyed his movement idea where it's like, look, we gotta prep the tissues, we gotta take care of ourselves. It's like right. flossing your teeth. And what I really loved about him as a practitioner and a doctor was that he was trying to empower people to work on themselves. Yeah, right. Which I'm sure it was selfish for him because he's like, "Oh, I'm too busy now, (laughs) right?" Like, so do your own work. Like, you don't need me to do it. But at the same time, it's like very empowering for the clients to be able to know that like he's not magic. He's not doing anything special. I mean, he is special. He's sarcastic. He's dry. He's funny.
1: Have you? Did you go to any of his seminars or anything?
2: Yeah, I went up to Sacramento and saw him at uh,
1: Mark Bell's
2: uh, gym. Yeah, super Super train.
1: Yeah, I love it. I yeah. love Mark. Mark's great. Uh, I actually used to work out with Mark at Westside for a little bit, Mark and Jesse Burdick. Um, and nice. they actually, the ones who introduced me to K-Star. And that was my first introduction. I was a CrossFit guy who was a powerlifter. And um, they were like, yo, you can't get your hand under the squat. Like you need to like talk to K-Star. So I actually went up to CrossFit and hung out with him and Diane Fu and spent some time with them. And it was he, he the thing about him is he is he's sarcastic and he's funny and he's intelligent and he's all those things, but he's really big on just managing machine and for me, uh, you know that really inspired me to like, and like I didn't even really think about it from a framework standpoint. That kind of set me up as well as like, well wait a minute, like I can take care of myself. So I love that. Yeah, I think I think that makes a hell of a lot of sense. So you started like granted a lot of stuffs passive and I don't use much of it now, but um, is that kind of, so that was the integration for you then?
2: That was the start, right? So it wasn't just moving yeah. anymore. It was like, okay, because right. as soon as you get in those gyms, you got people, especially in that, I wasn't working with, um, you know, I'm working with like cognitive athletes, right. Or like corporate, sure. corporate athletes that are also like, okay, I've spent 30 years of my life, like in this chair, at like, you know, working yeah. for a mortgage firm, right? Like, sure. yeah, yeah, so, yeah top of the food chain i'm stressing everybody else out but you know my heart rate you know high cholesterol they put on a ton of weight they haven't moved in a long time they don't go fishing they don't go like ride their harley that's sitting in their garage and now all of a sudden they're like i can't be in a push-up position for longer than 30 seconds without feeling like they're gonna pass out and so these people come into the gym and you're like okay so all these strength training protocols that you've gone to school and learned and you're trying to apply to this population it's like I feel so bad um, for every trainer out there who goes in and then comes and walks into the, the gym expecting to just be able to like write their programs and go forward with it and be effective um, because these people are highly stressed out, but they've also not been moving for so long with any real efficiency that you almost have to be Kelly star uh, at yeah. to be able to get them to do anything it's like an achievement to be able to get your arms over your head, let alone throw right, some right. weight on it, let alone actually get some like progressive overload going, right? Right. Um, and they're in there with the mindset like, no, like fifteen pounds today, bro. Let's do this, right? Like,
1: well, they're they grinders, right? These are people that in their in their industries are sharks, right? They're they're monsters, so they don't know defeat, and so you see a lot of people that just are sort of like, yeah, no, 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 I understand that, like, I probably have something that like looks like adrenal, adrenal fatigue. I probably have a shitty hormone profile. There's a good chance that like, I, I have no external rotation, to my shoulder, I don't care. Like I'm going to do it anyways, whether you say so or not. And that to me was the struggle with that population was like, just trying to create change in that like shark of a human that was like, no, no, no I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it anyways. Cause it becomes like a real like moral quandary of like, okay, well, like, do I really want to work with this person? Like, I can't actually help you and, unless we can change the way you think about things. And the way you approach business isn't the way you can approach your body. I, I really struggle with that. I'm not sure. if I, I'm sure you probably did too, but. Yeah. So they understand money,
2: right? right. They understand numbers, right? right? So right. I always be like, Return on hey, investment,
1: so, right? ROI yeah.
2: all day. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, here we go. So this is how I set up. It's like debit credits. This is accounting one-on-one, right? So we're going to sure. talk about baseline. So. You know, you think running six miles and burning 600 extra calories is actually good for your body. And, and maybe you're not wrong. OK, cool. But is it stress to your system? And they'd be like, yeah, it's stress. I'm like, OK, cool. So that's a negative. OK, how many hours of sleep did you get last night? They're Like four. I'm like, cool, that's a negative. All right. <laughs> did you eat healthy food? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I ate chicken and broccoli. And I'm like, OK, cool. How many calories was it? And I'm like, OK, so you're in a caloric deficit. Is that stressful to your system or not? And they're like, it's stressful. I'm like, okay, cool. cool." So it's like all these healthy things, right? That on paper, people are like, yeah, let's do this. And I think a lot of people see, um, you know, a lot of like movie stars, like most people, like their tension for what it means to be aesthetic when they look in the mirror and they look on TV, there's a big difference between that. And they're trying to push that back. And they see, then they go and like, they're they're avid, avid researchers. So they're going to go online and be like, all right, what did, broseph dude again right. in shape in
1: 90 days right, right. and they see the copious so they see the
2: workout
1: copious anibal um with some deca and then somebody following them around smacking shit out of their hands so they don't need it but that's what the, we don't talk about right is like like everyone that's in the avengers is probably taking some wind stroll and some other stuff to get to where they're at and i think that's the. That's that, like, horrible um, world that we established that, like, you know, years ago, uh, Sly Stallone got busted during all that, like, uh, Florida drug busts with steroids. He got busted with, like, something crazy, like, 600 vials of growth hormone in his home in Australia. Like, people are like, well, how's that guy 70 inject? Well, because he's using copious amounts of performance-enhancing drugs. But, like, that's not – we don't put those on the covers of in health, right? Like, that's not said, right? So those guys can sleep four hours and they can eat 600 calories or 600 carbs and do all this shit because they're literally like they're superheroes at that point because they're taking massive amounts of stuff. And I, for me, that was always the struggle. I mean, I was I was a powerlifter who could never afford to get dirty, right? Like I never unfortunately got to get on gear because I just wasn't good enough at it. Um, but like that was always my struggle with all of this stuff. Was like we just weren't honest. About how we reach these goals, and I'm sure, again, I, I'm sure you see the struggles. The thing to me that stands out to you is like the way you're talking to people is really like analytical and really intelligent. Did you find that that came easy to you, like that thought process, that communication style, or was it something you had to learn?
2: Uh, working with public, you got to learn, right? You got to learn a style that appeals to people, and it's just trial and error. And the one good thing about global gems is it gives you a lot of trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of exposure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got someone in front of you. My first, uh, oh man, my first week there, they just like came to me and they handed me this like binder, right? Like, just like this thick. And they just set it in front of me and I sat down a phone next to me and they're like, okay, so every single person in here joined the gym sometime and every single one of them got five training sessions when they signed up with their contract. right? And none of them have used them. So, you know, figure it out. And then like, that was the, that was day one, right? And then, you know, day 20, I'm still in there with the phone. book. But, but something that I did, because um, I didn't know any better, like was I just kept calling. But instead of calling every single number in there, I just called the first 10 over and over again. So I would mm-hmm. call like day one, then three days later, I'd call again. And then a week later, I would call again. And then three weeks later, I'd call again. And then three months later, I'd call again. And the first time anybody ever picked up the phone, It was a lady and she was like, hey, uh, yeah, can I can can I use them all to like in one day or two days? And I was like, "Uh, sure, if you want to do that, we could. I don't know why. And she's like, well, I'm done. Like, I'm going in. I'm not going to be out for like six months to a year and a half. I don't know how long I might get out early. And I'm like, where are you going? Like boot camp? Like what's happening? (laughs) like, No, no, no. I'm going to prison. Uh, I'm just going to get away. And I was oh okay yeah sure let's get it in and then <laughs> like, what do you want to learn before you go she's like it'd be great if you could teach me some movements to do that i don't need a gym for because i don't know what i'm going to have it'd be great if you could show me some body weight stuff so that was like legit my very first client that i had in the strength conditioning <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> that's amazing yeah
1: uh, right.
2: yeah and then my my next one like three months later he's like hey man I know a lot of stuff, I don't need to know anything. He's like, you seem like a nice guy, you called a lot. So let's do it. I'm gonna come in, we'll do one session, we'll see what happens, right? So he shows up and he's a construction worker. Um, He's active all day. And his whole goal was to have a six pack. And he's like, he's a fit guy, right? He's active. He's unlike the people we're talking about. Um, And at the time we just put like a metabolic tracker on him. And at the end of the the week, it looked like he burned seven, 800 calories a day. Mm And if he wasn't drinking beer, he was losing weight. Right. Right. So all we did was just give him a meal plan. And then he came in and did some like shoulders and traps so he would look jacked. And that was it. And um, but that we ended up being friends. And he's actually still one of my friends now. He's married with kids. And anyway, it was it was a fun experience. So to your point, like you, you have to learn to speak what other people care about. Yeah, and if you can understand why, there's why they say they're there, and then there's why that matters to them, and then there's why yeah. that actually is important to them, and that fourth why is where you get the emotion part involved. That involves yeah. either their story, you know, their family. It's pretty wild, and so if you don't get to that fourth why, you're you're just you're just doing reps and sets, right? So.
1: Have you are you familiar with the book? Um It Starts With Why by Simon Sinek? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that for me was it's funny when I talk about my, my fitness journey, like going through CrossFit, I I was a fine coach who cared, right? Like I, I don't really I didn't really know a ton. And then when I got a mortgage, mortgage for me was just like I got kids, I got money, I got I need insurance, right? And then right around 34 when I was like, Oh fuck, I gotta change my life and do some mad love, right? Then I got into the PT world. But one of the things that really stood out to me was when I got into mortgage, they made me read that book like right away, like day one, read this book. And that book like resonates with me to this day. It's like really just understanding like who you're talking to, why are they there? And, and how can you actually like connect with them and like reach them? And I think, you know, what you're speaking to is, is exactly that is like just understanding who they are and what they do. Now, fast forward, right? Going into PDTR and going into what you do now, um those worlds take a lot of buy-in like i know the first time kai exposed me to PTTR, i was like you, you you're gonna like tap me six times and i'm like i'm good mm-hmm. sure <laughs> kai whatever you say man like, <laughs> you're cool and all but like you might be crazy right so like i i it's kind of interesting to see like your progression to where you got to now because like i almost oh. wonder if any of that stuff didn't happen could you be successful? You know what I mean? Like it's kind of interesting the way the kind of universe works to get us where we get at the end. Um, so fast forward, I'm assuming like getting into PDTR and getting into manual work and getting into the emotional stuff. That's gotta be the crux of it all. Right. It's like, let's have a conversation about your why.
2: Yeah. The
1: why right there is what drives
2: everybody's right. And so the Everything. hard part is, is the stuff. Now it's not just the why they showed up. Because now we're connecting back to the why that got him going in the first place, right? And so, two of the things that help, I think, frame that out are most of our behaviors either towards something or away from something, right? It's very binary in our in our behavior. And PTR gave me a great way of like framing that out, where they talk about uh, how that's programmed in to our like like in the same way that like you learn how to do powerlifting. And you can bend down and pick something up because it's in your muscles now like you know how to do it right. you don't have to think about it there's no focus And the same way we draw drive you know these <laughs> like really heavy machines at really fast speeds and very close proximity sure. to lots of pp all day at the same time that we're like maybe reaching out to somebody and also listening to music and don't think twice about it uh in pdtr when you reach towards something hot that first time you reach for it you actually don't get tissue damage you don't even recognize the heat that's there it's just right. hot. It's once you burn yourself and then you feel that discomfort to the actual tissue, the damage, the tissue, then your body gets the pain. But then the next time you move towards that heat, you register the heat. If you're kind of distracted and you're leaning towards it, now you actually get the pain. But all of that is actually before the touch with the actual tissue damage. Right now, if that's true for every baby that's ever been like, or every parent that's ever said to their child, ouch, don't hot, right? Like kids don't know what hot means until they've done that once or twice and then that word makes a lot more sense for people. Right. So if you have that understanding, we all have that experience like either being the person or being the parent of the kid if we can count that now and go okay that's your withdrawal reflex, that's an away from, that happens whether you're consciously choosing it or not, you can be doing something else and your hand's pulling away now we think about that on like an emotional reaction to people it's the same thing you walk into a room and you're like oh i heard that noise that that noise i know what that means that's danger that means i'm in trouble and so i'm out of here whether that's mentally checked out cognitively emotionally or that's your physically jacked physiology jacked up and you're like all right i need to go get a coffee or a cigarette or whatever normal coping mechanism we use to get through our day to make our you know our office environments normal um, and i think mapping that over that understanding from something that people know and then like a little bit of the physiology behind it and then taking that now and mapping that over to something that they're like a little bit less aware of that's consistently there all the time and just because they're not thinking about it consciously doesn't mean it's not affecting them physiologically and then that influences them emotionally right
1: that was for me when I went through therapy. Therapy was great for me. It served in a lot of really great ways, but I had to really start to understand the mechanisms of biology for me, the brain, to really give myself forgiveness, right? Because understanding that some of this was just evolutionary perspective on the way we do things uh, gave me a lot of freedom to, like, oh, like this is just the response to trauma. And something you mentioned there when you talked about, like, when you walk into a room, you have that that task negative perspective of like. Okay, so what is that, right? And I think people forget that, that task negative is default mechanism, right? That's what you're supposed to have happen you walk in a room. That's what speak, that's what keeps you safe, right? We forget that, like, hundreds of years ago when we heard wrestling in the bushes, we had to see what that was, make a, a, a judgment if that was safe or not. And if that was a tiger, then we're going to get the fuck out of there, right? And so I don't think people draw that connection anymore to, like, stairs you know like i had a patient who had i couldn't figure out her pain perspective and um she was afraid of falling down stairs in front of her coworkers. and so every time she saw stairs she would get really uncomfortable and to me that was like wait what like like you're a healthy woman like what do you mean she's like well i'm overweight and if i fall downstairs like they're gonna they're gonna laugh at me right and so And then I kind of, once I started to understand the brain again, like I went back to that, that, you know, that file in our brain as we do when we learn new things and go shit. She had an issue with switching essentially her neuroplasticity would off, right? She couldn't switch neural networks to get to a task positive place to flow. And so essentially what you're kind of referencing is that like, that's kind of what you do, right? Like you're looking to find, help people find flow, which the biological stimulus is, Natural reduction of inflammation, right? Like feelings of safety. Um, what's that process look like? Does it do you have like a like a like a process out way you go about that, like a templated process, or is it just kind of feel-based? Uh
2: yeah. As soon as I think I have a process nailed down. <laughs> I mean people <laughs> mess
1: up every time, right? I know. Yeah. yeah. Ditto.
2: Yeah. So besides the improv, right? That's part of the process yeah. every time. Um, And then being able to have like ready to go examples that illustrate understanding for people in the language that they have right so that's like a challenge um once you have that then there's some really i think the magic in any social intervention that's driven right and so sure because you're another mammal and you're relating to that person um the most effective therapies you know whatever tool or technique you want to call it i do feel like it's challenging someone's subconscious belief about what's safe or not. Big time. If you can create a sense of safety with a new perspective, then that's probably what's actually happening, right? So, Well, I mean,
1: and some would argue the goal, right? I mean, uh, in a small sense, like exposure therapy is is the answer. And if exposure therapy is just quite simply like creating an environment that makes them feel uncomfortable to create change, that's the nature of biology, right? We only create change in task negative because – Entropy is challenged, right? So we have to make change so we don't die. And so I think that, I mean, that's kind of what I get from you here is that, like, you're going to put them in a position that might be moderately uncomfortable based on whatever their comfort level lies and then challenge position, ironically, much the same you would do for somebody on a deadlift to create hypertrophy and growth. I love that.
2: The biology and the psychology are
1: synonymous. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like in the end, cells, cell's language is force and cell's ability to adjust in accordance is pretty great. And force doesn't have to be literal force in terms of physics, but can be force in terms of mental stimulus. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. That's the shit that keeps me up at night. Like that's the yeah. stuff that has me staring at the ceiling like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's crazy. So now we've, we've kind of come full circle in terms of PDTR. Now – from there, we get into the next step of what you do, which is what Kai got me really interested in, which is. Yeah. Uh,
2: so, hypnotherapy is kind of like the realm, right? That's easy to think sure. about it in. Um, and a lot of people have a lot of misnomers about what that
1: actually is. Yes, right? which is why I wanted you here because, you know, kind of I have conversations a lot about Kai brings all kinds of crazy shit to me. And I always have to like <laughs> tell him, like, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Like, I, I want to be ready, but I don't know if I'm ready. And that term hypnotherapy, like, it sends almost a trigger through people that are like, okay, okay, crazy. But the reality is, is like, when you understand the human brain and you understand what it does, it's really not that crazy. It's just that social parameter around yeah okay like you're the you're like the crazy guy at church who's like you know snake snake teasing people right but I, obviously that's not what you do um and i've looked into what some of what you do and that's it's definitely not what you do so that's why a big reason i wanted to have you there's like let's deal with some misnomers and like social stigmas that you deal with
2: yeah so uh okay so let's talk about uh stimulus response right so one of these things sure. from KDTR that I love is this concept of monotasking. And uh, you know, in true like K-Star fashion, right? You can pull someone up, the biggest, strongest dude in the room, right? In any room that you're like trying to explain what you're doing through, right? And you know, you can make them take them through like a uh a delt flexion exercise, right? And he's like, Yeah, I'm strong. Well, yeah. You're like, all right, Right. now let's do some extra rotation. He's like, okay, cool, can do that. And you're like, all right, now move your head side to side, right? And hopefully, you can still do both of those movements, right? right. Uh, can they stand on one leg? Okay, now it's like a little circus sideshow kind of freak sure. accident, right? Like, okay, at a certain point, strength recruitment is going to go down, right? Like, sure. and that's that's totally appropriate, right? But if you're a performance athlete and you're it's game time, you should be able to get four or five of those tasks done at the same time. And if you can't, yeah. I mean, adjustability, dragging, yeah, something is dragging down your system. Now, that could be your lack of sleep. It could be, you know, some type of food or something that you got going on. could be some pain in the body. But it could also be because you got a phone call from your mom and some stuff is going down right before that meeting. And part of your body is connected and worried about that. And your physiology is taken, like, over there, right? Um, but if you can calm someone down and get them into a relaxed physiological state, you can get them out of that fight or flight state, it's amazing how much more tasks they can do. And don't be me wrong, it's not max load tasks, sure. right? But it's multi-versions of the stuff that they can do at once where they're able to kind of have more of their awareness subconsciously actually go into this stuff.
1: So, What's well, the idea of like a contraction? Like people I think have, have a misnomer about contractions. It should be one to five, right? And the way I look at it is I think if you can't contract your hamstring at a three, but you can a five – that's a problem, right? Because yeah. the reality of that is, you know, there's requisite tension to task. So if you're a golfer and all you can do is squeeze your obliques at a five, which is your max five, you're going to reduce club speed, right? So you need to be able to create contraction at three. and So that middle ground, that fundamental ground becomes really, really important. And I think that's what you're speaking to is, is like, what's that low level stimulus look like, which may inhibit high level stimulus. You got it. And so you've seen bolts are
2: like a perfect example of that, right? Like he's Great. sitting there, high speed, high performance, and his face is relaxed. He can look behind him and smile yeah. and not have to compromise his performance at all. Right. And it's like, that's like, or if you want to get geeky with it, you can talk about X-Men, right? The new one with um, uh, New Magneto. Movies? And um, I forget the guy, the actor's name, uh, but he played Xavier he in the 70s, right? Yeah. Uh, And he's like, hey, you're using your anger to try to control this. But you have so much more in you than that. And that's actually probably not where your true strength lies. It may be the easy one, but it's probably not the strongest one you have. Right. Right. And so that's there's some truth to all that when it comes to performance. But with hypnosis, uh, all it is is just understanding that different states of physiology have different associations of mental states as well. And those are different oscillation rates of the brain different theta waves and in those different states of awareness you have different types of access to different parts of your ability to perform and so we have these processes that we go into those modes like driving a car we can do other things because we're not thinking about driving a car i don't have to think about where park is and drive in reverse yeah, it's unless electronic. i'm in a new car and then i'm in a new car that's where an accidents happened because then <laughs> you think you're in the right spot you're not paying attention and you're not um, And so a lot of times when people come into hypnotherapy, what happens is they have a skill that they know they can do, but they're trying to apply it at a new level that makes them anxious or overwhelmed or scared. And so their unconscious competence is kind of like dampened by this conscious awareness of the stakes being raised higher. And so now they're concerned. They're like, okay, now I have kids. So if I fail, are they going to be fed or like, you know, now I'm, there's more people watching me. And so that's scary because um, now there's, if I fail, it's more public. And so now, sure, right? So in both of those things, we have strong emotional drivers, which takes us back to that four why question, right? And so right. if there's more people watching me and that's what kicks me out of conscious competence into this <laughs> incompetence now, because I'm so conscious aware of the threat that's there. It doesn't feel like a challenge anymore. It actually feels like a threat to my identity. And it's because people are watching Oh, what's the primary emotion behind that? That's going to be shame. All right. Why am I ashamed? Because shame means I'm being rejected from people that I care about. And so it's actually this fear of rejection and avoiding that fear that drives this this uh, threat. And so then you're like, okay, cool, If that's the theme. It's probably not from this new experience because they're competent in it. Right. If, If we took the people away, they could perform. So what is it then and where did that come from? And to me, that's when the trauma stories just start like flooding open, right? And you're like, oh, we talk about the shame theme or we talk about fear of rejection theme. Oh, here's 30 stories in my life of where that happened. And you're like, okay, which one of those is a two out of a scale from 10? Like which one's manageable to talk about? Let's talk about that. And let's see if we can get that to feel more calm and relaxed and integrated. And let's anchor in the positive feelings. And by the time we get to an eight, it's not an eight anymore, it's a six. By the time we go to a nine, it's not a nine anymore. To set, right? And so their physiology, they can actually stay in a relaxed muscle body. They can stay in a relaxed state. And they can talk about these distressing stories, these distressing learned things that were subconscious. And now when it comes to real time after some positive reinforcement, some positive anchor, that threat is just tuned down because the thing that was driving the perceived threat is no longer there. It's integrated in experience. Even thinking about that doesn't rise up. So now when they're in the real world doing the real task in the real time, it's not a threat anymore. It's a challenge, and now it's fun, and now they're back into that right. conscious in, or uh, unconscious incompetence. They're in that flow state, like you mentioned earlier, and they can just do the task now, and it's way more fun and way more enjoyable, sure. way less effort. It's just like, all right, let's bring it on. We got this. This is yeah. I can actually enjoy it.
1: And well, it's the removal of them, right? Through. Sorry, what was that? It's it's the removal of them. You're taking them out of the equation and making things a byproduct, like many other things in their life, right? Yeah, like everything. Right. It becomes like, like walking. Yeah, walking your ass. It's yeah, you that. That. Yeah, it's even better. So, okay, so a lot of that sounds like right in direct correlation with a lot of like traditional therapy. In terms of practical application, like the old idea of hypnotherapy is like there's a guy and he's got a, a hanging clock and he's going to go back and forth with a hanging clock, right? In terms of practical application, is hypnotherapy kind of like a tool that you use in your tool belt or is it your primary driver for how you get them to kind of relax down regulate and give you what you need from them
2: yeah so uh, a lot of people that have had traumatic experiences right it's about a sense of safety and creating it and that takes a lot of boundaries and trying to figure out what that is so that you have to have a lot of trust with the person you're working with right hugely
1: right because the perception of it is is like i'm gonna go under and this person can take advantage of me right so that's a wildly vulnerable state yeah. so
2: it's actually not like all hypnosis is self-hypnosis so it's actually something you give yourself permission to go into um, and we do it all day every day we do it once the alarm goes off and then we hit snooze and go back to sleep like you're in a state of hypnosis right before your alarm wakes you back up again right on your way to bed uh you know a lot of us are watching tv and so a lot of that hypnotic state before we fall asleep is taken up by the dreams we're watching, which is why the TV shows are so engaging, because they live beyond what we're watching after our eyes are closed if we're falling asleep to the TV.
1: But hypnosis is a
2: natural state; it's something you go in and out of every day. Creating it in a way where you give yourself permission to go in there, and then allowing some guidance while you're in that state, so that way you can focus on something that's productive instead of just refocusing on things that are spinning your own wheels. I like to think of it as going to the gym. So taking back to being a trainer again, right? So you're gonna to come to the gym and you're gonna work out all day, every day. And six months from now, you're gonna have a lot of aches and pains and a lot of sweat to show for it, but not necessarily what you came in to get. Right. And part of that's because what you need to be doing versus what you know how to do are not the same. Okay, so you go to the gym, you wanna get those six months to be pay off, meet with someone to show you what you're doing better. So that way, what you're doing and the results you're looking for actually match up for an end result that you're looking for. You can go and relax. That is awesome. Please do that, everybody all the time. <laughs> Meditate, right? Do some guided imagery, whatever it is. Like if you have to go run before you do it or do some like type of like whatever athletic performance before, you can do that state. Great, do it. But when you're in that state, there's power there. And so that's an awesome time to reinforce some of these positive things that you're trying to accomplish. Um, and it's hard to be in that state and also bring those up at the same time simultaneously. It's hard to count reps and also do a max load rep. Am I on three yeah. or five? I don't know. Am I on 15 or 30? I don't know. Feels like 30 after five. So, like, right. now I can't, right? So, if you're trying to be in that relaxed state to maximize the use of it, it's really simple to have someone else be providing those positive suggestions in there um, than it is to try to do both at the same time. And it's essentially the same thing.
1: That relaxed state that you referenced, I, I think you said something that was really interesting because it's that idea that, like, even when I'm watching TV, I can be in that relaxed state, um, which I think is a really powerful idea. Because again, I think the stigmatism about hypnotherapy is that, like, somebody's literally like hanging the clock, right? But the reality is, I guess, like, I never really thought of hypnotherapy from a standpoint of, like, like I'm in hypnosis and I'm in flow state reading or deep meditation or watching TV or, and so I guess that that in its own right should be pretty disarming to people and that like there's plenty of time throughout your day when you're in hypnosis and you just don't even realize it 100
2: you're probably in That's hypnosis awesome.
1: more than you're not yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. at least
2: in these days right like yeah we're always like
1: you know well i mean there's so much max there's so much input and so much max exposure to the peripheral nervous system it's like you know like you can be sitting there with led lights and end up there and and not even know that you're there right and i can tell you working being a guy who works 60 hours a week at a job that I fucking hated, I can tell you that there's plenty of times I was sitting at my desk and, you know, I was somewhere else um, just dreaming about an oasis in a desert that wasn't my desk, right? So, yeah, I get it.
2: Yeah. And the other part, too, is now I've – like, now that we're talking about, like, the hypnosis is a common state, it's actually a relaxing state to be in. It's enjoyable to be there, right? Right. Here's the thing that I find that's, like, a little alarming actually now about hypnosis is that because we have our phones with us and we have all the information that's ever been created ever for the history of mankind from the perspective of the winners at least like if you have any type of curiosity at all like it almost feels weird not to be on your phone or absorbing information in some format through that and it's so accessible now and it's so readily available that any downtime it's like oh I'm just gonna go learn something or experiencing something and so now you're in a constant state of hypnosis when you're in that world To the point when you put it down, some of that anxiety that people are talking about on like the social dilemma is actually coming out of a hypnotic state and not knowing how to handle yourself in a state of like awaking, like one, two, three, four, five, eyes open right awake. Like you're actually out of hypnosis and this is reality now for the real time. Can you still stay calm and actually access that physiological state outside of a hypnotic state? And I think some of the anxiety that? that we're seeing rise up, like in mass everywhere right now. Is, is some of that?
1: It's that red or blue pill idea, right? That like, you know, like, do I want to actually look like live in my biology, or do I do I want to just go into this other world? Because I mean, the, and we've talked about it before, we talked about it last week, actually, in our podcast. But uh, the harsh reality is, is that like the world that we've we've created and grown is is not really human anymore, right? We've we've gotten pretty far from what the root of evolution really is, and we're in this weird place now where it's this kind of twilight zone where like what is real right like like we certainly know instagram and facebook aren't real right and we know that when i get on google that's probably not real either it's not tangible to me um but what is real is like going outside and having sun touch my skin and standing in, you know grass and you know connecting to the earth and so i think um that to me is really a, a a thought experiment all in its own right is like when i thought again thinking of hypnotherapy and and, I, and again i tried to come to, into these podcasts with very little information because i like to have conversations like this um i guess i never really thought of hypnotherapy from that perspective and i think that's really interesting and, and should really change the way people think about their mental state from a minute-to-minute perspective like am i really present and am i really feeling what's around me or am i just ramming my my peripheral inputs with garbage and that's the hard part too
2: right so if you're in a hypnosis state mm-hmm. and you're you're suggestible when you're in that state um
1: great for advertisers like good for them yeah. great for them, mean, the marketers Some there. would argue the point right like that The in a world of of we'll call it corporate espionage for for lack of better words but i mean the, the reality is is like everything's suggestible including like billboards and everything else so it's like that's kind of the harsh reality that we live in you know working with some patients that are maybe overweight you can say things all the time like i just turned left and was at mcdonald's and i don't know what happened and like that sounds really dumb to like a lot of people but the harsh reality is it's like that's the the power of suggestibility right it's like i feel like shit right now i can't control my nervous system what's something that'll help me change nervous system state and perspective um mcdonald's do it right i'm gonna ram a bunch of shit into my gut and that'll change the way i feel and
2: a lot of kids when they go to mcdonald's they're there for the toys
1: right well and that's a like so i have (laughs) two little girls i have two girls that are twin that are uh, um six and like you go to you take no chick-fil-a right and chick-fil-a has um all these really pretty pictures and it's really like bright and it feels almost circusy and then you've got this fucking amazing playground like i kind of want to get on like like, that's a cool slide. Like, and the reality is, is like, I caught myself multiple times as a dad going to Chick-fil-A on a rainy day because it was like an enclosed park. And like, you know, of course, I'm a little different, right? So I go to Chick-fil-A and I buy like a nice tea and get a couple of waters. And I'm like, oh, glad they sit here on my iPad work while my girls play. But, that, you know, that's from an evolved perspective. Like most parents are like, well, while I'm here, like, let's get them an ice cream cone and some chicken fingers, right? And that's the whole point, right? That's why that playground's there. And I think we don't really realize as adults how many traps are built into our lives that are just the same as that for us in, in a regular state. And that to me is what's really scary. I had posted a while ago and I posted a picture from Wally. Are you familiar with the movie Wally? Yeah. The Disney movie. And uh, I said, this is the direction we're going whether we like it or not. And I, I think to me, it's really scary, right? That disconnect with human. Um, and I, I think it's, I, it's beautiful what you're talking about because the reality is it's like, you know, Kai, myself, you were the type of practitioners that are trying to reconnect the synapses to, which sounds crazy when you say it out loud. But it's like the amount of anxiety and uh, depression and disconnect and sadness and fear and all those things that come with the disconnect is so, I mean, mind-blowing. And people don't know it. And then they're shocked that they're like, why well, have been on antidepressants for 10 years? You know? It makes sense, actually, when you think about it that way, right? Like, yeah, of course you would be, right? Like, yeah. How could you not? Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> yeah. You're not human anymore. Like, and you are you you haven't taken the red pill to see that you're not human, right? So, like, you're just continuing to live in this world of the pill, and, that's a matrix re- reference people. Like I'm moderately nerdy, I swear. I won't get too bad into it, but um, <laughs> if you guys haven't seen the matrix, watch it, but it's the idea of enlightenment, right? Like I've taken the pill of enlightenment. Um, that I think was the biggest struggle as I got deeper into these worlds and, and talking to people like you, is like, again, hypnotherapy is that's the guy at the circus with the, with the watch, right? Not the guy who's helping you understand how to get into a, a place of flow, state, create change that's really powerful
2: and trauma is
1: like actually not being
2: able to like integrate an experience right and so because you can't integrate that experience when you come into it again your body can't react in a way that's adaptive because it's responding to something that happened in the past and and things that happened in the past aren't always productive all the way through like things change we adapt we evolve and our body's always learning to adapt and evolve but when that trauma is something there, it shuts down, overwhelms that nervous system. And so it actually can't do the new learning. It can't, even if you go through it well that once, it's hard to integrate it because your central nervous system is so overwhelmed. It can't keep those, like that muscle memory isn't working for you, right? Like that's that and so now people have to do it again and again and again. And I bartended a long time through college and a lot of people, you know, the slow shifts on Sunday, uh, <laughs> You know, you hear the same stories from the same guys every week. You know, they get six beers in, and it's the story about the wedding ring on their hand. And, you know, the guy's in his 60s, and, you know, you've heard the story. He doesn't remember telling you the story because he's always six beers in when he tells you the story. And it's like that movie Memento, where, like, he can't create new memories. He can't process through this grief and this loss and this trauma in his life because the state he's doing it in while he's processing is not a state that can actually be integrated into his entire central nervous system. And so he's now right. just in this loop. And like, I don't know how expensive his bar bills are, but like,
1: it's way more expensive than working with me. <laughs> yeah, Right, I mean, it's the hard shoot and, and working with you doesn't come with a lot of the downside, right? Of cirrhosis. Hopefully it's enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but like in a literal sense. Um, that was something that like always stood out to me was the idea that like, anxiety is what's on top of fear. And so everybody wants to address anxiety without fear, right? And everybody wants to address, you know, they want to talk about their triggers without understanding trauma. And it's like, I think, you know, my business is called Root Solution for a reason because ultimately I'm going to solve problems. And everything I do is geared towards, like, let's find the ultimate solution to your problem. And I'm a growing tree in this regard. Like, I'm just hoping to continue to add branches to get better at doing that. Um, but talking to people like you really helps clarify that, like, you know, it's not enough to deal with biological pain, you got to get into the other good shit.
0: Speaking of names, I definitely wanted to get the um, the meaning and why you chose your name, Garrett, because I I love your, um, your business name.
2: Yeah, so my business name is gnosis therapy. Uh, And it's gnosis in the Greek sense of the word, right, where it's like the actual felt experience of knowledge. So um uh, like a lived felt experience is very different because there's theory, right? There's practice, but then there's like knowing without having to try or effort, it's just there, it's in you. Right. Um, and that's what the therapy is about, right? Like knowing that difference, feeling it, living it. And then you don't even need the therapy, right? Like if you can get in there and do that and you be in that moment, then it is therapeutic in of itself. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I know you got more with, questions. Uh, it also runs with hypnosis, so that works too,
1: right? That's <laughs> actually yeah. that was my first show. Was like, oh, it's a, <laughs> it's a play on hypnosis. Um, I had, I, I did not see the other one coming.
0: <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, I got a, a couple more questions, Garrett. Um, so like, getting into, um, you know, you got into the fitness world um like were you always in like you said you bartended were you always in the fitness world or what changed for you to get into the fitness world were you like athlete before what, what got you into that
2: no i was uh yeah so my i drank a lot <laughs> that was my like a lot of people calculate uh their fitness based upon like how much like weight they can lift and you know what they're PR times are and all that stuff. And I used to calculate PRs in, um, you know, Coors Light Packs, right? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, man, we got through, you know, college, hardcore, but I, I started drinking at a young age. And so a lot of the stuff that I went through to avoid trauma or stress was really uh, side skirted through central nervous system depressants that are widely available at <laughs>
1: every grocery store where you can also get eight, Every right? liquor store on yeah. the face of the earth. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, and I saw it work for people around me, right, that were highly stressed out type A dudes. Um, they'd have a few, you know, um, and they'd be a little bit better to be around. Then would have a few more, a little bit worse to be around. But yeah, <laughs> there's always that sweet spot. So uh, as a kid, I took full advantage of that and ingrained that pattern pretty, pretty good. Um, so by the time I was 20, um, it was like, you know, okay, what's my PR drinking this weekend, right? Oh, how many keg sands can you do, right? Like, you know, full. Uh, full-blown uh intensity on some of that uh so i was like all right i gotta do something else so i was at my buddy's house one day and we were like halfway through a 30 pack of coors light on a sunday morning we were just like hung over from the night before so we just picked up right where we left off at and we're gonna barbecue that day and we had the tv on uh it just randomly was like on sunday morning like whatever we were barbecuing jumping in the pool you know having some cold beers And there was a guy that the LA marathon was on and there was a guy running the LA marathon and he didn't have legs. So like mid thigh down was, I don't know too much about his history, but mid thigh down, he didn't have any legs. Most guys that uh, are impaired that way, when they're doing that race, they're getting a bike, right? And so they're hand cranking through. But this guy just put caps on the end of his legs and then just went uh, with gloves on and just went hands and stumps, hands and stumps, hands and stumps into the full 26 miles and watching him cross the finish line and get a medal over him. I was just blown away by that. Like in that moment I sat there and I'm like, I am the world's biggest piece of shit. Like I have <laughs> two legs, not just one, but like both of them, like all of it, all the way down with all the toes, they all work. And I have no idea what they're capable of. This guy has so little and he's doing so much with so little, like, like, I'm totally a piece of shit taking this for granted. So I was drunk enough at the time to look over my buddy and he was like, Oh, my mom's run a marathon and they, they give you a shirt and a medal. It's pretty cool. It doesn't, there's no time. Like you can do eight hours. It'll be fine. You can do it. Right. And I was like, all right, I bet you a 30 pack that like I'll run a marathon. I'll run the next LA marathon. And he's like, all right, you're on. So we bet. And I started running and um, yeah, it was a terrible experience, <coughs> but I, I did. I ended up finishing the marathon. Cause I like, you know, the same mentality that gets you through that 30 pack of cores Light like, is the same mentality that got me across that 26 mile. Yeah. Right. So
0: nice. <laughs>
2: yeah. That was a long time ago now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you've come a long way, man. Yeah. Um, so speaking of that, where, where, what's next for, for gnosis therapy? Is there anything in the works? Um, uh, what's, what's going on in, in, for your future?
2: Yeah. Uh, after working with my clients, right. Um, uh, a lot of stuff has shown up around attachment, uh, styles and attachment issues. And those are just strategies, right. To mitigate their like ingrained fear of either rejection or, or like a loss of control. And mm-hmm. so there's a couple strategies, right? So I'm going to reject you before you reject me. I'm going to leave the situation, um, uh, because it feels safe. Cause now I'm in control. And so that's an avoidant attachment style versus an anxious one is like, no, 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 the further you push me away, let's go. I can do this. Right. Which is yeah um, a fear of rejection. And they're like, no, 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 let's go. And a lot of people, um, they go through their adult relationships, and it it consumes a large part of what they care about mentally, emotionally. Right? It underlines a lot of the whys that people are at the gym in the first place, like trying to work on their physical appearance because they're like, "Oh, my girlfriend broke up with me, or my 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 man left me, and I want to get in shape and make him jealous." Like you hear all this stuff, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh
0: yeah.
2: And so, what really shows up in those relationships is often there's an avoidant with an anxious person and vice versa. And some of that's because of how they grew up in some painful past learning from their parents or their, 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 uh, caregivers, primary caregivers. And so they get in these relationships that are wildly unhealthy, not because the people themselves are bad people, but because the dynamic that shows up and if they trigger each other's and this dynamic shows up and it's overwhelming. And it's one of the big traumas that people go through. The kids are, you know, uh, raised in divorced households, it's like one of the things on the ACEs score, adverse childhood experience score. And so it's one of the things on there, it's a point, right? And if you get four or more, like you're more likely to be an alcoholic, you're more likely to have pain, anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, inflammation, Crohn's disease, IBS, autoimmune stuff. And that's one of the four. And most of the time it's like this relationship dynamic that comes out just from an attachment style that was formed when you were a kid and no one's aware of it. And so I'm kind of tired of this. it seems like a simple thing to avoid. Like if I know I'm an avoidant, I need to make sure I'm not in a relationship with a, a person who is anxious attachment style. And and if I'm not, I'm in a relationship with someone who's secure. At the end of that relationship, good or bad, I will become more secure having been in that relationship. If I'm anxious and I'm in it with an avoidant, I'm gonna be way more anxious coming out of it. But if I'm in with a secure on the other end of that, I'll come out more secure than I would be otherwise. And so relationships can actually be healing
0: <laughs> like yeah.
2: therapeutic in of themselves they should be ideally <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so some of the the trauma stories that come out tend to come from these early experiences and then these attachment systems and then they become re-traumatizing when they play out in adulthood so right now i'm putting together like a field guide for people that are dating so that way they can be like all right who am i okay who are these people that are potential partners okay i'm gonna avoid you you and you because it's just bad for me um and then that way they can avoid heartache before it even starts and get into some more healthy healing relationships hopefully do
1: you find do you find that there's people that fit both those
2: yeah oh absolutely there's there's people that have been through the ringer quite a few times right and so they're both anxious and avoidant and like what percentage and what mix typically shifts depending on the person they're in a relationship with right and the environment that they're into right um so, I definitely have been both of those in my lifetime, and both at the same time. And yeah, a lot of stress in my relationships uh, up until very recently.
1: So so, as somebody who, you know i'm I'm about a year removed from a divorce, um, that that's actually played out really well. like we're we're we parent well, we're good friends. Um, she's an incredible person. Just not maybe not my person. Um, and I have a lot of respect for his parent and and I show that respect for my kid's sake and, and because she deserves it. But I find I'm finding now that I'm dating as an adult with, um, more direct correlation to myself, like understand myself better that I'm finding on both of those patterns and that, in in a lot of ways I want to control circumstance until I find somebody that controls circumstance. And then I find myself chasing and the chase makes me uncomfortable and almost makes me feel like I'm a, like a crazy teenage girl. Um, so I, I, I almost forced the control mechanism to make sure that I can protect myself. And it's a loop, it's a weird loop that I'm in that I'm almost kind of struggling with. I'm being like so open and honest here, holy shit. But it's almost something that I'm really struggling with in that um, it's hard for me to get comfortable enough to give myself to somebody because I'm afraid of the potential outcome, Mm -hmm. right? so when you run into something along those lines what's i mean like let's fuck it let's get into it um what what's kind of like the scenario where you know that can play itself out in a positive light in a a relationship that serves you
2: yeah so if you're both anxious and avoidant right and it's triggered by certain circumstances and then if finding a partner that you absolutely know is secure is going to be the safest route to go and so there's some quick right. litmus test and questions you can ask them to find out if they are right like tell me about your past relationships who ended it. If they say oh i've ended every single relationship i've ever had that is an avoidant, and that is like going to be a challenging relationship for you to be current right. right? right. Um, if they're like oh no. Yeah, I've only had three relationships, and they've been terrible, but they've lasted for six years each. Like that's an anxious person where they're like, "No, I'm in a bad way. I'm like, I can't get out of here, but I don't know how to end it because the relationship is more important than myself, right?" Right. Um, if someone's which like, is the yeah, definition—that's
1: you know. the definition of my marriage, by the way—is that you know you've got this connection to somebody that you care about and love, and you want to be there and support and 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 be there for them, and you've got vested time, invested interest, and in all these things, and you're you become there to just try to be there to protect the person, right? That you really care about and love, but you're maybe not in love with anymore.
2: Yeah. And there's a lot of people that think that marriage is really just a partnership, right? And it's really right. more about like raising kids and having a household and maintaining it. They, they think of it as like a business transaction. I think it's only very recently that we think about maintaining a loving, caring relationship in a monogamous way for a lifetime is actually possible now. Like. Even in the 70s and the 80s, like my mom grew up where like marriage was definitely had a way with like economic influence because when she grew up, like the jobs that were available to her versus the lifestyle she wanted to have, like, no, you have to have someone else as a partner with it. Right. right. Um, And even if you wanted to have kids, but you didn't want to like necessarily be in a relationship with this person, like up until very recently, that wasn't like an option either. So this idea of, like, being in a healing, healthy, happy relationship where you're actually, like, that's what I would call love, right? Where it's mutually beneficial. That is so new. Like, that's this generation. That's, like, now. That's, like, 2020 shit, right? Well,
1: it's it's ironic, too, because, like, in a world where we've become so disconnected with being human, going back to our earlier conversation, you also see this generation of people that are valuing um, joy, and, and themselves, and it's almost like this generation, this millennial generation, which I think people talk really poorly about. Utterly. Um, I think one of the things that they've kind of figured out is like, well, that world doesn't work. Like you're unhappy, and you're sick, and you didn't travel, and you didn't do all these things that serve you as a human. Instead, why don't why like why would I want that life? And so I'm I'm noticing in again and even dating when I'm talking to people that are in their twenties, their late twenties. You're finding a lot of them that are like, "Well, I want a partner that that is a partner that I can chase joy with and chase passion with and do these things with," which is interesting because, you know, I, I met my my last partner at a really young age, but that, I mean, those weren't correlates that you thought about, right? Like you just, you just kind of did shit. So it's funny to see how disconnected we are as humans, yet how this generation of people is finding a connection to joy. And it's almost like the human revolt. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like in a really great way. But then again, like if you're a 38 year old who's, you know, constantly dealing with trauma, you don't always fit that mold. So it's it, it, like, there's a weird disconnect for me, um, even though I've like made choices to chase passion.
2: Yeah, so uh, going through that, working through that, right, uh, is really worth the effort. <laughs> for sure Flat, i mean that's
0: point
1: that's how you find a happy relationship right and there's like a dad of daughters that wants to set an example for what a loving relationship looks like so that my kids can like look alike dad respects and treats our mom with respect and wants her to be happy and wants to connect with her and her partner as well as have a relationship that shows value i mean As a dad, I look at – I take my life very seriously from a blueprint perspective, right? Like part of the reason I chose to be a physical therapist, part of the reason I chose to be an entrepreneur is to show my kids that like these are options, right? Right. Like Mm -hmm. this is what you can do with your life. And so – but now the relationship – ironically, the relationship portion is way fucking harder than like re-careering myself at 34 years old. Who would have ever known, right? Like, that's the easy part. I connect with people all day. I should just be able to connect with somebody, right? Um, and I'm sure you see this on a regular basis.
2: And I think the intentionality you bring to your lifestyle, like, you should also bring to, like, your dating practice, right? Sure. We used to joke that, like, oh, there's plenty of fish in the sea, right? Like, don't worry. No. There's more out there, right? Like, And so there's this idea of, like, quantity was how we console people. Right, like kiss a lot of frogs, plenty of fish in the sea. Now there's like dating apps that bring everything to you, and so quantity is no longer like the the sticking point for this. Now it's no almost like there's too many options, and we're terrible, like at weighing options, right? And and everyone knows that, right? <laughs> um, And so we like, oh, okay, like so, how do we whittle it down? And and we're like, okay, well, a lot of people go with attractiveness because the apps are rated for that, right? Because it's like the first thing you see, it's uh, and then hot or not. Yeah. And then are they local, right? Because that's like your constraint on radius, right? And then are they single? Well, like hopefully if they're on the app, like the implication is that they are, right? Right. But we go one step further than that. We make the assumption that just because they're single means that they're emotionally available. And that's not necessarily true. And so depending on who you are and what you need to be healthy and happy in a relationship is about that dynamic. It's not the other person, right? What they need is about them and what's healthy for them and their dynamic making sure that you're in a relationship or even pursuing someone like the thought of relationship that has that lined up is probably the like the criteria that we really need (laughs) because we have that we're like okay they are attractive they are local okay they are single oh and their attachment style is not drastically harmful for me as a person and will trigger all, all my trauma and insecurities and make me a terrible human being Um, Okay, great. We took that off the table. Now what's left? And it's like, oh, these are interesting people. Maybe there's two or three out of the 30 you would have had access to that year. And dating two or three people for three months or longer, you're going to learn something about yourself. And things that show up that had shown up in the past that don't show up in that relationship are going to change you as a person because it's a new association. And it's going to tone down some of the intensity of those reactions, both anxious and avoidant. Two or three relationships like that underneath your belt, you're either one or the other probably now, right? Yeah. Yep. And then you found so- a partner that's willing to be with you working through that stuff together. Because it, 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 that work does happen in, like just like uh, therapeutic practices for physical therapy happen in sport. They happen in movement. They happen in action. It's going to happen in the relationship.
1: So in terms of, like, practical application of hypnotherapy, like, is this kind of some of the direction you're applying some of your work is is towards, like, understanding that, like, that trauma in relation to relationships?
2: I would have never thought that. Sure. <laughs> this does. is how it works, right? <laughs> I would have never thought that. That's like, I'm like, oh, what evolution, right? Um, But the one thing over the last two years that I've looked at with most of my clients has come down to some type of attachment issue, both as kids and then showing up in their adult relationships. And it's what's triggering their anxiety or their fear. And it's part of their identity that's showing up that's really messing with them. And when their relationship's off, they have no way to soothe themselves because their practice is through their partner. And so then they get into this overwhelmed state and they can't function and stupid things happen, whether they blow out their shoulder lifting at the gym, whether they mess something up at work or whether like they just can't get to sleep at night, which impedes their performance. It's this other thing going on with their relationship that's really driving a lot of that stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I think the idea of the, the tribal perspective of, of humans gets really left aside because our world's got so big, we forget that at one point we lived in a cave with you know, maybe 20 people and like as a, as a hunter, As the the apex predator, as the guy for your tribe, you weren't feeding your family, you were feeding all families, right? And so it's really interesting to me as the world gets bigger, we get more and more disconnected from what we are against humans, which is tribal in perspective, and our tribes kind of go away. And it's funny because the tribes are what drive us or what should drive us, but I don't think people have many tribes anymore. They have like these like distant associations with people without any direct correlation to a tribe, which then means that like your only, your only real tribe becomes what's in your home. And if that's a negative, you know, unfulfilling prospect of your life, then that bleeds out pretty aggressively. God, I love that. I love that so much. I mean, I think from a PT perspective, like I can think specifically of one of my patients who blew out her shoulder shortly after her husband died. And... You know, like I drew the correlate for, her, and she didn't really draw the correlate, But I'm like, yo, like you, you've got massive inflammation. You're 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 off somewhere else thinking about other shit, and then you, you're trying to PR on the press, and you 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 know you tear your labrum, right? So, I it's funny how, you know, I'm I'm infantile in my in my my growth of this prospect. I'm only a few years in this, but I am starting to learn that like I've got to deal with emotional stuff. So I'm digging more into being like. Um, I call it good human versus a therapist cause I'm far from a therapist, but just be a good human. And it's funny to see for me, my correlation was biological pain into emotional pain, which leads me into that social perspective of pain. And it's funny to see that your journey's done the same. And, and at the end, the social perspective of pain is almost more important than any of the other pain. You know what I mean? Like, because the reality is, is like, that's what drives inflammation that drives, I mean, things all, all together and so you think about kids and their exposure to poor relationships especially kids that are our age right because we saw our parents essentially potentially not love each other like if if our parents were in love that was special, but the harsh reality is is most people in their 60s and 70s are there was a business agreement and they refused to divorce because jesus is watching and he says that's not okay right and so that's like i can't imagine thing, right? A social constraint, of course, and so the the way that bleeds down in terms of like one, how are you gonna like establish a relationship? And I look at my ex, and I and guys, I mean, really open. I'm sorry, but I look at my ex, and I, and that's it, right? I come from a traumatic background of mom passed away early, dad was an alcoholic who never remarried because he's abusive. My wife came from the other perspective of it, where mom and dad were together forever but mistreated each other on a regular basis. So she had this this constraint and boundary of being kind of passive aggressive in her way of communication, which isn't, isn't a core of who she is a person, right? Um, she's a far better person than that. She just didn't know better. And so looking back on it now, there was all these traumas in our relationship where we had set these traps for each other later on in life that were almost too big to overcome. Right. And so I think this becomes really valuable in relationships. And, and obviously you see that and like, that's essentially what you're trying to overcome. Right. Yeah,
2: it's when you get into trauma and I think the ACE studies is like just like makes it easy to look at. Right. Because it talks about Kaiser Permanente is like, hey, there's some people that are using our services a lot. Like we're spending a lot more money on making right. off of these people. Right. That's a problem for us as business operators. we got to figure this mm-hmm. out. right? And I could just see some like, you know, anyway, I could just see some like guy looking like running the audit. Right. And he's like, so what do these guys all have in common? And then it comes out like, OK, child of an alcoholic. Divorced parents, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, neglect. Okay, now wait. If you have all of our incarceration, um, death, right? Yeah. If you have some of these things, you're more likely to have a lifestyle that's challenging. And some of those choices you do live with that challenging lifestyle are physiological substances that you use to regulate your nervous system because you don't know how to have one and your calibration for stress is way tuned up as a protective mechanism. So of course, you're going to reach for cigarettes, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all the fun stuff, just because it's like attuned to your lifestyle and getting those into whack. Like there's negative outcomes from that both short term, long term. Right. There's negative externalities that come with it. And so at the end of it, you know, uh, cake has that great song. How do you afford your rock and roll lifestyle? And it's like dozens of bills and hospital bills. Right. It's like it catches up with you eventually, whatever that looks like. Um, the goal is to catch it before it's it's uh, done too much damage that you can't come back from it, right? right? And so it doesn't matter if you're 50 or 60 or 80. Um, as long as you're still like fighting to try to make a change, it's a big deal. But a lot of those attachment issues show up in that primary care relationship. And it carries weight all the way throughout people's lives. And it's like, okay, well, where'd that attachment issue come from? And then you go, oh, the parents, to your point. And it's like, well, where'd they get it from? And you're like, oh, shit, their parents. And then you are like damn, we're so far gone, like the whole graveyard, everybody from the beginning of time, right? So like, how do we get out of this now? And
1: this is we... morbid, but that's pedophilia, right? Like pedophiles, unfortunately, do what they do, and then the person that has it them typically repeats action, right? Because we typically repeat trauma. So I don't think, you know, I think of uh, an unfortunate conversation that's associated with pedophilia and and really a lot of other traumas, but pedophilia is a really easy one to understand is that like it's lineage-based, right? if if your founding fathers were pedophiles all the way through then it continues unfortunately to, tr- to trickle down until someone makes a choice to make that stop and you know i think that's a really powerful idea that people don't under- associate and again i use the word pedophilia because it's so jarring and so direct that people can understand that trauma um, and it doesn't have to be pedophilia right it can be as simple as passive aggressive behavior but the reality is it's like those traumas repeat until you make a choice to make a stop in those traumas, right?
2: And the the choice to stop isn't really something you can control necessarily out of yourself, right? even, It takes a social aspect to try to control some of that. And so it takes a tribe, it really takes a village, right? Yeah. And so to undo like the ace, right? To undo the aces, right? To undo those ad- adverse childhood experiences, all someone needs to have access to is the knowledge and the felt sense that someone loved them and cared about them growing up. doesn't matter who it is it could be a teacher it could be a coach right um it could be an aunt it could be an uncle could be a grandma.
1: ironically so i didn't mean to interrupt but ironically we just spoke with somebody who who is incredible we spoke to her last night and um she had talked very openly about being raped and one of my one of my questions was what could have stopped your downward cycle after and the first thing she said was my dad not disassociated and telling me that it, it wasn't my fault and being there for me and like that for me was such a really like bizarrely powerful thing to hear because it was like Fuck it. Like, it was that simple, you know, but it, the dark reality is the parent is you're really setting yourself up to be prepared to deal with their, your kid's stuff so that you can be there for them when they need you. And that's a moment when they need you. Right. Yep. Yep. And that, and you don't have to be a parent to do it. Right. So it
2: can be other people too.
1: Just be a good human. Um, yep. So now with that being said, kind I recently talked a lot about food. This is obesity right like this is this is the thing that blows me away about obesity is like i talked to all these nutritionists all these rds all these people that have all this high level understanding of food and what they don't talk about is uh it's just nervous system manipulation right it's me trying to control trauma through a drug that just is more socially acceptable than methamphetamines and cocaine it's the most accessible at drug that any six-year-old can get access to all the time right with no with no problems Memes about girls being like uh, drug
2: dealers, right? right?
1: Like it's
2: not too far off.
1: (laughs) No, it's really not. So this is where I think this conversation becomes really powerful and and really explosive to me. And and something I directly can relate to is, is that like this idea of, it's not about being disciplined. It's not about working harder. It's not about more steps. It's not about more work. It's about diving deeper inward to find solutions to your problems in a, in a more like, like direct sense. And I think this is something for me that is, that I'm really passionate about recently, especially more so recently now that I understand it, but it's the same trauma that you overeat with is the same trauma you apply to relationships or any other aspect in your life in terms of being like self sabotaging. Right.
2: hundred percent.
1: Yeah. So
2: I don't call myself a hypnotherapist, even though that's like certified hypnotherapist, right. I don't call myself sure. like a, pdtr manual therapist right um i don't call myself like a strength conditioning coach right like i don't you know right and i'm not like a life coach right so it's like oh what are you and it's like oh it's like it's a traumatic stress coach like we are going to coach you through the stress in your life that is recreated traumas from like from your past in real time now like that's why it's actually stressful like if it if it was just like the stress, like like overcoming compensation right like okay cool like we have the stimulus and now we can respond and adapt to it and now we're stronger because of it that is stress yes but it's not traumatic stress because you can actually overcome it but if you're grinding away it's getting you worse than better like we've tipped the scales it's not discipline it's not a to-do list it's not more list of things there's something else going on and you're going to continue to bang your head against it and get so frustrated. And you're going to end up believing that you're the problem, right. not recognizing that it's the system that you're working in. That's actually failing you, not you failing yourself. And I think that's, that's just a what, powerful like,
1: statement, Garrett.
2: It's like, what scares me every day is like, I see so many people throwing in the towel cause they're like, I've tried everything. I, I just must be not worth it. And I'm like, oh my God, like, no, like the thing you're trying, you actually don't even have access to logic, reason, or willpower in these moments. All you have access to is this emotional response and this fight or flight system. And like, until we can address that, like, who cares about any of the rest of that stuff? Like, sure. like it's not—we're not even in the ballpark there.
1: <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, that's wild. That's—I I think that's such a powerful thing, though, for people to understand is that. The, the, the harsh reality of, of the world is it's working against them because, I mean, it, when you start getting into that, that task negative viewpoint on yourself, it becomes that freeze model. And, and Kai and I have talked about this before, but the idea that if I'm in freeze, I may see an oasis, right, like a survival mechanism. And that oasis when I'm in the desert and I'm starving and I'm thirsty and it's out there and it looks like water and it looks like sanctity isn't. So we start seeing things that aren't real. And what happens is I think we start our perception on who we are, our perception, of our reality becomes altered, which then devalues ourself. Like we start really finding struggles with finding value in who we are and what we do. And then that struggle of not knowing who we are and what we do and and those things starts creating these false realities of, of our value. Right. And if, You know, you're an individual who's single and who's trying to find a relationship who doesn't value yourself. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to find these relationships. You're going to find other people that are that are going to unfortunately take advantage of the circumstances. And I think, again, so powerful. Right.
2: Well, even if you find someone that does value because you don't value yourself, you'll think they're crazy
1: right of course right you're gonna push the person away right and that's the idea that like i used to hear dr drew say this all the time on love line but they would say your picker's broken right and um i didn't feel like he went deep enough with that idea because like looking back on that idea now is like your picker's broken is a really powerful statement because like if i don't value myself i won't value the person in front of me so i don't look for somebody who brings value to my life i'm i'm looking for something who's reductive right Because i'm reductive of myself and that's why people continue to get away with abuse, right? That's why people continue, like, that's why I got to abuse this girlfriend is now going to abuse his next girlfriend and the girlfriend after that. And then it becomes a really vicious cycle of continuing that reductive mindset of, like, and you just continue to move that person down the total pole and the next thing you know, that person's whipping post to shitty people, you know? Yep.
2: And then the cycle of trauma continues, right?
1: Yep. They have kids or whatever else, right? And now their kids are are bred into this world of trauma and The kids know nothing other than trauma, right? And so you hope that the kids are resilient enough and find a network of people that are good enough that will help bring them out of that position. The the harsh reality is is they probably won't because, again, that goes wrong, right? So people who add value, they'll push away. Man, this world that we've weaved is just kind of fucked up, right? I'm
2: hopeful, though, because I feel like the fact that there's these types of conversations taking place, right? and the fact that people are like recognizing that these are traumas, like that it's not something you just don't talk about, that it's not something you brush under the rug, that it's like impactful, that it matters, that it adds up, that it creates an impact. And that if you're not aware of it, you're gonna be a victim of it. So you might as well be aware of it and then see what you can do about it. The more awareness around that, the more opportunities there are to minimize the lineage of trauma that extends forever. And so in the same way that we can talk about great, great, great grandparents, intergenerational trauma, and feel the ripples in our generation now is the same exact impact that we can envision in the future of not having that, of that impact of one person now making a decision for themselves, one to enjoy their life more and to have more of an enjoyable life in the future. But then what happens from the ripple that comes out from that, not just to themselves, but for the person in relationship with, but also whoever they interact with, whoever they're the boss of, right? Whoever they're the uncle or the niece or the aunt, whoever they're the grandparent of, Like, how far does that carry itself down into the future? And so in the same way, like, it's scary to think of how long it's been here. It's really impactful to think of how one little thing that feels good and makes your life better can impact so many people down the way.
1: So do you think that this exposure to this world, this awareness that's being, like, somehow building itself is maybe the counterbalance to... The, the fake world that we live in, the, the, the world that's not biologically sound, do you think this is like humans like finding res- resiliency and like reverting back to what they're supposed to be? Well, so like with
2: coronavirus, right? Like people have to be super intentional now about right. their social interactions. And so before it was right. incidental, right? They're like, right. oh, I say what's up to the guy at the coffee shop. He knows my drink. We're buddies. Cool. Right. I don't know that guy's name. I, right. I don't follow him on Instagram. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, right? Like he doesn't have my phone number like that social interaction has now gone from my life and like they add up over time. Those little things like being seen, felt heard, respected, understood. If you're not in that work environment in the office, like you don't have some of that stuff. Um, Well, even a bar, right.
1: Going back to being a bartender, like I was a bartender for a long time in my twenties and I, I worked at a local bar. I mean, it was a restaurant, but it was a local bar and I was more of a therapist than I was a bartender and in in more cases than than not like, right. That, that good human perspective, like, you tell, when you're talking about that guy who's had his sixth beer that guy needs that and that's gone i think that's a really actually like really important statement it's like that's kind of no longer here and so now people have to be super
2: intentional about that right and they're, and they're forced right. to be they're thinking about it right and they're recognizing how much it really did matter to them and how little this is actually helping um and how much more challenging this is actually making their life because now right. the interaction they're having They're having the same discussions they used to have face to face over beers or dinner or barbecue or food or friends or kids in these social worlds. But now they're having it just on social media. And so there's not the nuance that's brought to the message. And so we're here like there are so many people that have had so many divisive conversations and lost long term friendships this year. And it's because they don't have the human interaction. They just have the social interaction through the social media. And then they're stripped of this incidental human interaction that shows up in their day-to-day existence, their routine, and now they're now they're really feeling the effects of it, um, both mentally, emotionally, physically, and so now they're going to see what they have to do. Like they're actually coming to terms with it. Like we have another however long into this, we're like halfway through maybe before I don't know, right? And so there's going to be some reckoning, and people are going to have to really do some work here. And I think when you see where things are broken, it makes it easier to find out where you should go to work at. And so I mean, I'm really hopeful that this time is actually going to be constructive. It has to break before it can be mended, right? So,
1: Yeah, I think that's a whole nother ideal, right? Behind like, you know, you look at some of the the Norwegian countries that are like, yeah, we work 30 hour work weeks. We don't work Fridays. We work from home. You know, we value people. Um, I think I start seeing a lot of people that are working from home that are kind of getting the similar perspective, right, where they're like, well, I went to work and I did my job and I was done in six hours. So I was all done. And then I, I did the dishes and I walked my dog, right? And I think incidentally, by the work at home life, that work at home balance, people are finding that it's no longer about like, I'm going to work an eight hour day and, and do 80% work. I'm going to work 100% work for six hours because my boss isn't looking over my shoulder. So he can't stop me from um, playing PlayStation or walking my dog or you know, helping my kids with schoolwork or whatever else, right? And it, ironically, we're finding that, like, I think people are finding what's important, weirdly, through this, right? I know personally, I'm holding on to my kids a hell of a harder because I know the struggle of them not having the social welfare that they had before in in terms of school. Um, I'm fighting harder than I ever had to make sure that my kids get what they need. So, like, I'll go to a park and people, please don't, like, kill me for this, but, like, I'll cut down the fucking tape and I'll let my kids play in the playground, right? Because I'm fully aware that the sun melts every single piece of bacteria and virus that's on the with equipment. And frankly, after six months, the park's probably the cleanest place in the fucking planet. Um, but I'm I'm really doing what I can to fight and give my kids what they what I what they need as, as a parent, what I know they need. And I think I see a lot more parents doing that now than they would before, because they're just being more directly. Um, they're thinking about it more than they ever did before, you know? Um, and frankly, you see your kids, after, my kids are in therapy and my, my kids probably don't need therapy if I'm really honest, but I saw some stuff pop up that felt like it was, that was out of my control. And I, I said, I need help and I, I don't want these things to become lasting problems. So I want to, I'm going to find somebody that can help me with this. And thankfully my partner's in on that, but that's the kind of stuff I, I, I continue to see more of than I love, you know? So hopefully that's the change, right?
2: absolutely yeah and i think you can tie it to performance it makes it
1: a little easier you know yeah i would agree yeah (laughs) for sure well and and far more digestible right like the stuff that we're talking about now is really deep and and kind of overwhelming for the general pop i think when i start going on these tangents people they kind of look at me wide-eyed like i'm a crazy person and so like when you can make it incremental and you can have conversations on a smaller scale, it makes it far easier. You know, what you had talked about with dating is like the online dating perspective of like, it feels like a sales model, right? Like I went to work as a mortgage agent and I had 10 prospects every day. That's what Bumble feels like, right? Like, well, if these 10 don't work out, I'll have 10 more tomorrow. So fuck it. I don't really care. And that you start to devalue humans. And I, I, it's nice to see, it's great to see somebody that, that has that, perspective of trying to help people find value again i love that
2: it's pretty powerful to see when people are in a healthy healing relationship what changes on the other side for them it's really cool for humanity's
1: sake i think right like i think not just in their household i think everywhere
2: yeah
1: yeah thanks for uh, well
2: (laughs) this conversation
1: that was fun guys yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah, so we went right over. This might end up being two podcasts, but I we so. were in a we in a flow that I thought yeah. needed to keep going. So I kept going. But um Garrett, dude, awesome stuff. I think you're doing like incredible stuff out there. I've I've you know, um, I've heard a lot of it from Kai and I get open exposure to it. I f I I couldn't love it more. And I wish you all the best, man. And I'd love to have you on again in the future if if you if you feel like you're up to it especially Absolutely. as you start to like build out some of your stuff that you want to kind of get hopefully grander exposure to. Um, Garrett, where can we find you? Like where's an easy way for people to reach out to you and like connect with you?
0: Yeah.
2: So I have an Instagram handle, so you can DM me on there if you want. It's Gnosis Therapy. That's with a silent G at the beginning. So okay. G like Garrett, my first name, N-O-S, N-O-S-I-S, therapy. And it's my same email, Garrett at GnosisTherapy.com if someone wants to shoot me an email. Um, yeah, it's probably the easiest way to get
1: in touch with me. Cool. Well, thank you for your time. Guys, you can reach me at root.solution. As always, DM me. Um, I'm getting all kinds of food stuff after Food Talk. I freaking love it. Bring it. I will defend everything I've I've talked about, I promise, and I'll give you the science if you want it. Um, Don't reach out to me on Facebook because frankly, I just use it and I probably won't see the, the message, but uh, send it to me Instagram, please. Kai, hit, hit him with the underscores, buddy.
0: The underscore is at control underscore the underscore basics. Um, been posting a lot about the food challenge and um, yeah. Thank you a lot, Garrett. That was awesome. Love, love hearing you talk. Um, and yeah, look forward to your, to your future. I'm single. So, you know, I gotta gotta get on that program. So. <laughs> we'll talk. All right, we'll talk. Thank yeah. you All right, man. Awesome. Thanks, guys.